0: Our text of scripture today comes to us from Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter, beginning with the 11th verse. I invite you to listen for God's word for you. Take care that you do not forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commandments, his ordinances, and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today. When you have eaten your fill and have built fine houses and live in them, And when your herds and flocks have multiplied, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then do not exalt yourself, forgetting the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who led you through the great and terrible wilderness, an arid wasteland with poisonous snakes and scorpions. He made water flow for you from flint rock, And he fed you in the wilderness with manna that your ancestors did not know. To humble you and to test you and in the end to do you good. Do not say to yourself, my power and the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. So that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your ancestors as he is doing today. If you do forget the Lord your God and follow other gods to serve and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall utterly perish. Like the nations that the Lord is destroying before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Gracious and loving God, we come before you this day to hear a word from the Lord. In this period of unrest throughout the world and throughout our nation, we ask that you would speak to us and open our ears and our hearts to receive what you have for us this day. We pray this in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. This morning, we continue our sermon series, Hebrew 101. Seven Hebrew words every Christian needs to know. We began a couple of weeks ago with Shema, hear or listen up. And last week was the word Mithraim, Egypt. Today, our Hebrew word for the day is Zakor. remember and do not forget. You know, most of us have moved at some time in our lives. It may have been a move to college or across town or across the state or even across the world. Leaving one place and arriving at another can be disorienting. Quick search of the Internet reveals plenty of advice or tips for how to navigate a move. For example, according to Mayflower, About six to eight weeks before moving day, you should contact a mover and set a date for the agent to visit the home and prepare a moving estimate. Then four to six weeks ahead of time, you need to notify the post office, prepare a list of friends and neighbors and businesses that you need to notify of your move. Then there are utilities and personal accounts like the bank or credit card companies, publications and professional services that need to be informed of your new address as well. Then, two to three weeks before the big day, you should begin preparing the family for the move. I mean, you may want to visit some of the places that hold special memories, just to say farewell or possibly throw a going-away party for your children. And then, one to two weeks before moving, you'll need to decide what to do with the pets, the plants, return library books, Return all those tools you may have borrowed from the neighbors. The day of the move finally arrives, and it's important to know that it's your responsibility to see that all of your goods are loaded, so you approve the bill of lading, the freight bill. And finally, you take a last look around, shut off the water, etc., leave the keys, and be sure not to leave anything that you intend to take with you. Then when you arrive on delivery day, you have to be, quote, on hand to accept delivery, sign for the receipt of all the items listed. But beyond that, the advice for arrival is really thin. In fact, after four pages of advice on what to do before the move, it's really surprising that there is only one paragraph on what to do when you finally arrive in your new home. Now, the story of God's people is weighted in precisely the opposite direction. Short on departure tips, really long on advice for what to do when you arrive in your new home, in your new life. In the book of Exodus, God sent a mover, Moses, to help his people leave a neighborhood that was no longer hospitable or safe, Mitzrayim. Egypt. There was no warning. There was no list of what to do six to eight weeks before leaving. They had one night. That's it. That's all. After 430 years, one night. You know, my parents moved when they retired after 30 years in the same house. What an ordeal! My father almost had a psychological breakdown from the stress because every picture, every piece of furniture was a memory for him. When my family moved to New Jersey several years ago, our then 8th grade daughter kept her watch on Pacific Daylight Time for months so she would know precisely what time it was for her best friends. Look, moving can be traumatic. And preparation is essential. But the culmination of the story of the Exodus is entry into the land of promise where the Lord appears to be much more interested in how one is to begin again. Now, given where we are in our country today, maybe it's time to remember. But to remember in such a way that we begin again with a renewed sense of who we are and where we've come from and to whom we belong. Remembering doesn't mean repeating. My wife Lynn carries with her a quote in her purse that she saw in a museum in Germany many years ago, and it simply reads, if we do not honor our past, we lose our future. If we destroy our roots, we cannot grow. Now, the book of Deuteronomy is kind of the constitution of the people of God. And it constitutes the advice on what to do when you arrive at the boundary of your future. God seems relatively less interested in the past, much more interested in how we begin our futures. How we enter our promised lands, how we engage our new life in Christ. But it begins with remembering. It's the core. And it begins with remembering in a certain kind of way. You see, you have to remember who you are and where you come from. You have to know at the core of your being who you are and to whom you belong, if you forget that, well, then you begin to believe your own press clippings about yourself. So be careful, lest you develop a convenient amnesia, trusting in yourself alone, and then grasping for anything that can secure your own existence. Holding the things of life too tightly We squeeze the life out of ourselves. And the life of faith begins with God's generosity. And then it continues with our own generosity. You know, an expert in time management some years ago at a conference that I attended asked our little group to guess how many rocks he could fit into this large container on the table fist-sized rocks were piled up next to this clear container and the group made the best estimates that they could then the speaker began one by one to place the stones into the container and when the container looked to be pretty full he then asked the group if any more could be added into the container and once the group was kind of in agreement that no more could be added the speaker said really and then he reached below the table and brought up a pail of gravel. And he began to add that to the space around the large stones in the container. Well, then when the container looked completely full with the gravel, the speaker asked if anything more could be added. And the group was a little less confident now, responded, probably not. And The speaker replied, good. And then again, he reached below the table and he brought up a bucket of sand. And he began to pour sand into the container until the space around the gravel and around the rocks was filled. Then one more time, he asked whether or not anything could be added to the container. We were now a little prepared to be surprised again, so we enthusiastically responded, yes. And with that, the speaker once again responded, excellent, and he grabbed a pitcher of water from under the table, and he began to pour it into the container. Now, by this point, the container was absolutely full. But the speaker had made the point. Much more can be fit into life than we first imagine. Just when we think it's already full, then a new educational or work opportunity presents itself, or a child's on the way, or a committee needs extra effort, or an unplanned wedding gets added to your schedule. Life may feel full, but more can usually be added and accomplished. But then, the speaker surprised us again by saying, the message is not that you can fit more into your life, but that the key to life is getting the big rocks in first. You have to begin with what is most valuable. The most essential things have to go in first or there'll never be room for them. Our sermon series, Hebrew 101, is focusing on the big rocks that have to get in first. Remember who you are where you come from. Remember that you too were without hope and without a future until God Almighty delivered you. And then you'll understand why it's so important to care for those without hope and for those without a future because you were just like that once. Israel failed that test in the wilderness. But Jesus at the beginning of his ministry had his own wilderness experience and he passed the test. So if we're not talking in the church about what's most important in life, then we're not talking about what Jesus talked about. Everywhere he went and with everyone he encountered, there was this talk about life and what's most important in life. Now, don't get me wrong. There are plenty of small things that are required in life and the church, but we can't sweat the small things and ignore the big ones. So our faith maintains that some of the big rocks, some of the big things that are most important to get into life first are not the things that we might think of the most as the most important. Worship service to others, sacraments, prayer. Many in the world around us know little or nothing of these things, but they're vitally important to people of faith. And it all begins with worship. Remember, because we so easily forget When we ignore our need for God, we're less than we're meant to be, and we fall prey to all sorts of distortions in human life. Worship keeps us human because worship keeps us reminded of who we are and to whom we truly belong. The story of God's people is also our story. We have known God's protection, God's favor, God's provision, God's comfort, God's kindness, God's faithfulness. Let us be careful, lest we develop kind of a convenient amnesia, trusting in ourselves alone grasping for anything that can secure our lives, holding on so tightly to what we own that we begin to have more faith in our things, our portfolios, our own capabilities than in the Almighty God. Our lives, like those who've gone before us, are stories of deliverance and not of domination and power. It's especially important to remember that we have been delivered in the past so we don't wrongly begin to think that we're supposed to now take life into our own hands for the purpose of making something of ourselves. No, we're called upon to remember the past, a history of deliverance, and to remember it in such a way that we actually participate in the story again and again and again, and understanding that the promises and presence of God in Jesus Christ are enough to secure our existence, then we live. Then we live with gratitude, because it's all come to us as a gift. Life is not meant to be lived by grab, but as gift. When we understand we don't own but merely possess our blessings in trust, we begin to live the gift. Generosity comes naturally. But it all begins with getting right what you worship in life. It's just so easy to forget that the Lord our God is present and then begin to think, my power. And the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth and this life. It's especially important to remember that we have been delivered. So we won't wrongly begin to think we're supposed to now take life into our hands. Believing that the promises of God and Jesus Christ are sufficient to secure our existence We give back from our many blessings to the Lord as an act of trust and thanksgiving. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. writes about his own discovery as a Christian, a pastor, an eventual leader of the civil rights movement as he crossed from his education to his first call. There was a process of learning. It was a realization that began to dawn upon him. And he writes about it in his book, Strive Toward Freedom. His formal theological education completed. He took his first position as a pastor in Montgomery, Alabama in the 1950s. He writes, When I went to Montgomery as a pastor, I had not the slightest idea that I would later become involved in a crisis in which nonviolent resistance would be applicable. I neither started the protest nor suggested it. I simply responded to the call of the people for a spokesman. And when that protest began, my mind, consciously or unconsciously, was driven back to the Sermon on the Mount with its sublime teaching on love and the Gandhian method of nonviolent resistance. As the days unfolded, I came to see the power of nonviolence more and more. Living through the actual experience of the protest, nonviolence became more than a method to which I gave intellectual assent. It became a commitment to a way of life. And many of the things that I had not cleared up intellectually concerning nonviolence were now solved in the sphere of practical action. End quote. His intellectual assent to ideas of faith only became commitment to a way of life in the sphere of practical action. The children of God then and now often have that experience. Many things that are not cleared up intellectually are solved when we begin to live out the implications of our faith. And for the children of God, whatever their values, commitments, uncertainties, fears, and unsolved intellectual conundrums, things actually begin to clear up in the sphere of practically following this Lord and Savior. I know in these days we're engaged in a national struggle with just how should we remember the past. Should we have statues or not? Are the founders of our nation remembered for their heroism and ideals or as slave owners and thieves stealing land and persecuting indigenous peoples? Should we remove the names on campus buildings of people who expressed ideas with which we disagree today? Uh, See, remembering does not mean repeating. And remembering without confession and forgiveness only leads to rekindling a tribalism that breeds animosity and grievances from long ago so how we remember is important too but holding the things of life too tightly we squeeze the life right out of ourselves and the life of faith begins with God's generosity Remember that. And it continues with our worship and gratitude. So when we gather for worship, it's a collective remembering. Zikor. Remember, it's an imperative. But remember the Lord your God, for it is God who gives you power to get wealth So that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your ancestors as God is doing today. Perhaps you've heard the saying that sometimes you'll see on cards that says, Yesterday is history, tomorrow is mystery, today is a gift. That's why we call it the present.